In a world that's falling further into chaos and disorder day after day. A world devoid of masculinity. A world where the most basic tenets of reality have come into question. A world where masculinity is deemed toxic and men and women are at war with each other. It's clearer now more than ever that we need a return of strong men and a remembering of what it means to be a man. A revival of common sense. A revival of the union between men and women. A revival of the masculine spirit in men. This is the Masculine Revival Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Masculine Revival Podcast. Today, I'm joined by none other than our co-host, Mike Pantile. Mike, how you doing today? Oh, man, I'm fired up for this one. I thought you were going to hit me with the uh, the angry <laughs> apostle line, especially <laughs> given the, the 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 subject matter today. Yeah. Come on, bro. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> but um, we are prayed up and ready to go for this one. This has oh, been yeah. brewing for a long time for both of us. We've talked as long as this podcast has been a thing. At some point, we're going to have to do an episode where we just go all in for Christ and about Christianity. So today is that day we've arrived Amen, bro. and a uh, little backstory for the listeners here. Why are we doing this even? Well, I currently have very, very, very painful neighbors. Mike knows all about this. They are very oh, yeah. difficult to deal with. They sometimes smoke in their basement. We have a connected wall and that smoke floods our entire upper floor. We've had many nights where we have, we've had to sleep in the living room. So wake up my five month old daughter, go down and sleep in the living room. Um, it's been an endless source of grief, annoyance, and disturbance for us, fighting domestic disputes, all kinds of things. So a couple nights ago, I was laying in bed and woken up in the middle of the night. I was awake for two hours and I was filled with rage. <laughs> I wanted to go over there and rip the husband's head off, tell him what a piece of work he was. And as I laid there thinking about it, you know, my heart was softened, started thinking about God, Christ, what Christ has done for me. And then that rage turned into a desire to share the gospel with that family, which I have not yet done, but God really softened my heart in that moment. So I'm laying there in bed wide awake. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I had this really clear conviction that this next episode was going to be the episode to proclaim faith and talk about why we believe. So here we are. I'm just honoring the call for this conversation. We don't have any format. We're just going into it. We're walking through the door and we're going to see what happens here. I love it, bro. Yeah, you dude, you sent me a, a text message at midnight. I'm like, some stir stirring up Brendan's <laughs> spirit right now. He's angry and the Holy Spirit found its way. You know, that's, 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 it's a beautiful thing, man. I think this podcast was an inevitability. I just think we needed the right moment, right set of circumstances for you clearly going through it with your neighbors. Dude, I've known all about this since like pretty much the beginning. And praise God, you're moving out. But uh, beautiful learning lesson in the spirit and, and 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 humility and grace. For me, I have a almost two month old. Praise God, it's crazy how time has has flown. So I've had a very different experience and encounter with having to show grace and mercy and allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede because these bedtimes, bro, and putting two young children to bed when they're both still breastfeeding is like the greatest test of my patience, man. I'm going all day working with clients, doing my thing, 
you know, trying to, you know, do something with my life for the kingdom and for my family. And I have to put these two little beings to bed and it, dude, it's, let's just say there's been a lot of like angry, stressful, manic prayers while I'm holding my daughter and trying to put them to bed. <laughs> I hear you, bro. I hear you. Yeah, man. I was just listening to uh, Brian Souvet's new album. Oh yeah. This morning with my wife, we're both sitting there with tears in our eyes. He's talking about Christian family and marriage and just the most beautiful thing in the world. Talking about little girl, like he has a song for both of his daughters. Oh man. It's just, I got to check this out. I've been so disenfranchised with Christian music just because most of it is just so bad. Yeah, no, I hear you. But I, I've heard this guy's good. I haven't actually listened to his music, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give it a shot and maybe I'll cry after this podcast to the ones about the daughters. It's glorious. <laughs> it's glorious. Beautiful, man. Okay, so I think maybe where we should start is you. So you and I have had many private conversations about sharing our faith publicly. Mm -hmm. And in all honesty, we both have struggled with that yeah so why is that i i think the biggest reason i think that we both can agree upon is that we we do want to be very convicted and punchy about our faith and 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 proclaim the gospel and the good news but we don't want to alienate people either i don't want to i don't want your page the podcast my page to turn into an echo chamber where we're just appealing to other christians that are already in the faith because the goal is it used to be, and I don't know about, about about you, but about financial gain. It's like how much can I really make in just a Christian niche and a niche and a niche, and I just don't care about that anymore. I, I just don't care. I know God's gonna find a way, but really for me, it's like how can I get those people that are on the fence, the people that are maybe thinking of converting to Islam because of Tate, or the people that have questions, without making it seem like I'm in this ivory tower speaking down to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. What are your I thoughts? Think, I think for me my difficulty with sharing my faith publicly on Instagram is the fact that I started masculine revival in 2020 and I was definitely not a Christian when I started and masculine revival early on has been this really unique blend of the best new age teachings, like new age polarity stuff. And then like dipping into the Christian world. And I've kind of been in that middle area where I'm appealing to the new agers and then also speaking to Christians and in terms of business, that's a great place to be. You have a broader market. And to put to pick up that foot and put both feet into the Christian message is, is and has alienated a lot of people. So for me, I'm at, I'm at a point in my walk with Christ where I'm all about trying to be tactful in how I, how I share, when I share, how much I share, with, who, with whom I share. So I think this episode is an episode where we can go 12 out of 10. Yeah. Christ is King. This is about why we believe. I mean, Mike, where do we start? Dude. So I'm curious because we, we both of us have pretty different paths, pasts and paths to Christ. Right. So given that this podcast is your namesake and uh, obviously I share the honor of co-hosting it with you. Let's start with where you started, man. I know you were in the new age. That was your your history. Your your I know all about your past, but to give the listeners an idea of how deeply entrenched you were in the new age and how Christ has pulled you out of that, I think would be hugely impactful. So where did it start for you, man? Okay, so I guess the first thing for me is that I grew up without a father. So I grew up with a single mother and I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. My mother was 
routinely abused as a child and she did the best with what she had. I want to honor her in, by sharing this publicly, but yeah, she did the best with what she had, but it was dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. It was difficult. It was challenging. There's a lot of conflict. I had no male guidance whatsoever. I didn't meet my father until I was 16 years old. And when I left high school, I fell right into the new age. So I thought at that time in my life that human consciousness was the answer to the problems in the world. That if we could evolve and ascend and if we could maybe open ourselves up to a higher way of being, we could solve all the the problems in the world. We could overcome our base nature and step into something higher. Like we could do it. We can pull it off. That's what I believed. Yeah. From the age of, I think 19 to 21 was the peak for me. So I was vegan and then I got into raw veganism. So I was eating only, so nothing cooked raw, raw fruit and vegetables. So I was wild. I'm six, two and a half. And I was probably at that time down to 145 pounds. At one point I was doing what I thought was channeling angelic beings so I'd do like automatic writing where I was talking to like my, my quote unquote spirit guides, which is probably just a bunch of demonic craziness doing psychedelics frequently. I've done pretty much every, every psychedelic you can imagine. And I was doing this in an attempt to, to heal and transcend and, and awaken. I wanted to help my, my vision was to help other people do the same thing, like overcome your trauma, overcome your stuff so that you can serve others so there was something noble in it but it was very lost i was very lost and i was very misguided so you were 19 to 21 years old you're in the new age and then okay so there's obviously this this missing piece between 21 and what age did you start masking revival 28 28 okay so let's just zoom ahead to 28. You were, you were still in the new age, presume, presumably, or were you kind of making your way out of it at that point? Yeah. So I started, I was making my way out of it. I was getting into like less cringy new ageism. And yeah. that started when I joined a men's group that was, right. it was still new agey, but less so. It's more about masculinity, manhood, all that kind of stuff. But um, when I started Masculine Revival, at some point in my journey, I found traditional gender roles. Mm-hmm. I think Elliot Hulse was the guy that was really talking about it a lot, was talking about men playing a masculine role in a marriage and women playing a feminine role and how those two things work together. And I started to really warm up to that idea of traditional gender roles. Mm -hmm. I was also becoming more and more conservative in my thinking with the craziness that was going on in the world. And I started to believe traditional gender roles were the answer, which was very counter to the new age culture that I came from. And so I started Masculine Revival wanting to share about traditional gender roles, traditional gender dynamics. And I followed a lot of Christians. I was aware that there were a lot of Christians talking about it, but I couldn't quite get right with the Christ aspect. It was like, I just thought it was stupid, to be honest with you. I thought Mm. like looking at Christianity from the the outside, looking in for me, I felt like it was a, a dumb religion for dumb people. And that there was no basis to the faith. It was just like blind hope. And I could I could see that it was doing good things for people. Like to have that foundation was a good thing. But it just made no sense to me. I'm like, 
okay, so there's this sky daddy who's <laughs> judging everyone and he sends people to hell and he's supposed to be loving like, okay, bro. And he says, do this. Don't do that. It's all black and white. Like, come on, dude. Like, let's be real here. That's kind of where I was at originally. And all the while you're making this content, essentially borrowing from the Christian worldview. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. What I didn't, what I didn't really fully understand at the time was that traditional gender roles are biblical gender roles Mm -hmm. with Christ removed. So traditional gender roles are all about common sense and logic, right? Logically speaking, men are different than women, blah, blah, blah. You can make a whole logical case for it, a rational case for it. Biblical gender roles have Christ at the center. That is infinitely more powerful than taking him out of it and doing this whole like logical, rational dance. Mm-hmm. But... um I mean, look, looking back at my life, Christ was calling me forward the entire time. And I used traditional gender roles as a stepping stone. Like it was the gateway towards Christianity for me. It was like me warming up to things, me starting to live, to walk in that direction. So it was the catalyst for me. I think in a lot of ways, God used your page to knock down the walls around you and your heart to find himself in your life. So I listened to a lot of your podcasts before you came to the Christ. I mean, the, the two or three that are out there. Yeah. Well, what, <laughs> I think, tell me if I'm wrong. You you came to the faith, was it early 2022? Yeah, it was early okay. 2022. What yeah. was the catalyst? Like what happened? So my my now wife and I were engaged and we were living together and having premarital sex. And we both had an increasing conviction that we shouldn't be doing that. And then one day, we were looking for a, a pastor that was going to marry us. And we walked into a church here in Edmonton that will remain unnamed for the, for the moment, but uh, very, very intense, very, very intense man that we met with. And he pretty much leaned in and was like, are you guys living together? Are you having premarital sex? Okay. You need to immediately stop that. Um, he just convicted us of, of that sin. And we started to do premarital counseling with him. When, when we met this man on like a Tuesday, we were about to move into a new place together on a Saturday. Within those couple of days, we had decided that we were going to live apart for the next six months prior to marriage. Amazing. So it was like just a night and day switch. And then in that time where we were living apart, both of us, I think within a day of each other, both of us gave our lives to Christ. Amazing. So that was really what started it for us. I would say that it took probably six to eight months for any fruit to really show up for me. Like I I had given my life to Christ and I was in the Bible and I was learning, but I still felt like I was this, the same in some ways. Like I didn't, I didn't feel much of a profound shift. It was just kind of like smooth and just happened. And then towards the end of last year, I really started to feel a heart change where it was like, certain sinful patterns and ways of being just kind of started to wither up and die or had been reduced like 80, like the pull towards them had been reduced like 80%, 90%. And then um, I just started to feel this joy and peace and contentment that surpassed all understanding. And I feel like somewhere towards the end of last year, that's when I really felt with both feet. I'm like, this is it. I'm a Christian. I'm all in. I, I felt the change. 
And it's interesting because that's right around the time that we met. And then you got baptized several, a few months after that. What was it? Was it March, February, March? Yeah, it must've been, it must've been March and you were there for that, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, because at the time Destiny was pregnant. Heavily pregnant. Heavily pregnant, like at the end stage. Yeah. Like I spoke some words over your, over your baptism. That was, and I had known you as like, kind of like this reserved guy up to that point. Like we had become friends. I was in the brotherhood and all that stuff. But then when you went up there, and when you were sharing your testimony, all of a sudden I saw this like fire, <sighs> this like holy fire come out of you, man. It was like this, this preacher, Brendan, all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> where did this guy come from, dude? Like amazing yeah. dude. Well, so backstory for the listeners, like I've struggled with chronic and debilitating anxiety for most of my life to the point that there was, there have been times where I've been unable to leave the house like running into a friend would send me into a 12 out of 10 anxiety response, like full flight or flight or fight. I was having so much anxiety that I was chronically fatigued from being in flight or fight all the time. So day-to-day functioning was hard. And I had to get up in front of probably 300 people and give my testimony about how I came to the faith. And Mike was in the audience and I was downright terrified sitting there getting ready to go up there. And I was praying prior to going up and I, I kind of heard once you get up there, everything's going to be fine. Just get up there and do it. And as soon as I stepped onto that stage, it was just this calm, cool collected energy came over me. And then just this fire came up. It was like beyond me. Um, that was a very, very powerful moment for sure. Yeah, it was huge. So what would you say if there's anything that's changed post-baptism? What has changed and how has it changed you to where you're living now? You have a daughter. She's a few months old yeah. marriage. That, that question floors me. Cause I don't even know where to start. It's like a fundamental. I am a new creation in Christ. I have a new heart. I have a new mind. I feel totally renewed. Um, we have this amazing foundation in our marriage. The, the the biggest thing for me recently that I've been feeling is just this overwhelming sense of joy, contentment, peace, and gratitude that is unshakable. So, and I want to be clear about the fact that um, sometimes on the surface, I will still get anxious or worried or frustrated, or I'll feel something negative on the surface, but it's not that hard for me to drop below that and get into this unshakable peace. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of at a place now where it's like, I think this is important to say when I started masculine revival, I felt a profound sense of pressure due to the name masculine revival to be masculine revival. Mm-hmm. I had to live up to the name masculine revival. I felt like every time I did an interview or whatever, it's like, I had to be this kind of, hi, I'm masculine revival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And I know a lot, but I don't have it all figured out. And I, th- I had this profound sense of imposter syndrome, right? Where I'm like, who am I to have a hundred thousand followers? I mean, who am I to have people interviewing me and be this guy with this clout and all this influence and everything. And it used to screw me up. I used to feel screwed up about it. Like, be like, ah, oh, like I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, all of that conversation about worth and enoughness has died. It does. It ceases to exist. And it's not because I found out that I'm good enough. It's because I've realized that I was never enough and Christ saved me. Boom. <laughs> it's like the, the, the liberation and the freedom in that 
you know, like I no, I, I wasn't good enough. And he did something for me that I never deserved. I was, there's nothing about me that deserved that, but he did it. Right. And that that's where my worth comes from. It's not what I have, who I am, what I do, this podcast, me being a husband, me being a father, what take it all away. That's, that's who I am. That's where my worth comes from. That shift is how do you, how do you put into words? Like what that feels like to have that, that burden that it's all up to me. Right. And that's what the, and that's what the new age teaches, right? It's like the new age is, is so fundamentally opposed to Christianity. Self, 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 right. What is the answer in the new age? The answer is if you're not feeling good, you need self-care, you need self-love, you need self-acceptance. You need to fill yourself up with more of yourself. Or maybe you need to transcend yourself. So go focus on doing all these, these weird practices to try to transcend yourself. It's a self-based religion. It's self-worship, right? Christianity is the denial of self, the rejection of self. It's about being selfless. And the, the joy, the peace in that is phenomenal. What I can appreciate about you is that for as long as I've known you as like masculine revival, you're Brendan, my homie, my good friend, one of my best friends, I would say. I forget that you run this page often. And I think that's a testament to, um, well, first of all, imposter syndrome is not always a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is there's a softness of heart where you know you carry the responsibility, but you know that it's not on your shoulders, that Christ carries that responsibility for you. That's how you're able to walk the path forward with such grace. Would you say that's accurate? 100%. And when I gave my life to Christ, I gave, it was actually one of the hardest parts for me is that I knew that when I became a Christian, what that means is that I follow Christ with all of me. There's, you don't get to hold on to anything and say, I'm going to give you 95%, but this 5% is mine. Me, me, me. No, no, no. It's all gone. You die to yourself. One of the hardest things for me to surrender was mask and arrival uh, because I built it. I overcame my life. I, 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 overcame my struggle and the adversity and I built it and it's me, 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 but to actually lay that down and say, no, it's yours. Christ, it's yours. It belongs to you. I want you to use this for your glory. It wasn't me. I look back at my life and the things that I've been through and my story. I, the fact that I'm doing what I do for a living is a miracle. It's, it's miraculous. And it had nothing to do with me. I showed up and played the part. He took me through it with a purpose, all the suffering, growing up fatherless. It was for this. It was for this podcast, this Instagram page to serve, to help inspire men. It's an amazing thing when you look back at your life and I, I, I say the same thing, when you see it all tied together and you see this, you see God's hand at work and where you are in the present. And one thing I could say that I value the most about our friendship. And one thing that I would say that you have certainly taught me in this, in this whole journey is to be a good steward. I know you've heard me say that a bunch of times, being a good steward of what you have. And I honestly will say that you are one of the foremost examples of this that I've ever seen in my life. As a guy, myself, you know me, I struggle with contentment and I'm always striving for the next thing. And I've got natural competitiveness, all the things that you possess, but there's a groundedness in your gratitude for what you have that is something that is aspirational for me 
And if that is not just one of the, the, the major examples of God and Christ and how he's changed in your life, nothing else is, man. And I'm grateful for that. I praise God. I appreciate you saying that. And I think, I guess I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life where I realize that I'm not owed anything. What I was owed was death and eternal separation from God is what I was actually owed. Mm-hmm. Yet here I am given this platform, this marriage, my daughter, all of this good is flowing through my life and it's affecting other people. Um, how do you even ask for more when you're that privileged when you've been given that much, right? It's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a faithful steward to what I've been given. And the Bible talks about that when you do that, God will increase what you have. Right. And again, there's a freedom in that, right? Like it, we, in our entire marriage, we've never had to worry about paying rent. We've always been taken care of. There's always been enough. There's been difficulties. There's been challenges, but in, at the end of the day, we've always been provided for what more could I ask for? Right. And it's like, sure. there, there's this, there's this really unique balance. So as men, where it's like being, being grateful and walking in that joy of the spirit while also knowing that it's okay to strive for more. It's just that there's a point where more becomes, can become an idol and more can pull you out of your relationship with God. And so it's like, how do you walk in that gratitude and that joy of what you have while also being a man that is forward moving? And there's a real art to that that I'm trying to learn. That's uh, certainly a dance, man. I mean, Solomon talks about it in Ecclesiastes, right? Mm. It's like the wisdom, the wealth, and the wickedness that that comes with it if you allow it to take refuge in your heart and your spirit where that peace and contentment from God comes from. And you you know me, I, I travel in and out of that, right? But what's amazing about being made new in him is that there's there's this surety that I know that you know all about where no matter how chaotic things are, you know it's going to work out, even if that means you've got to walk through a fiery path, a fiery trial before that breakthrough. And it's not necessarily for the breakthrough. It's just knowing that there's a time for everything. Again, referencing Ecclesiastes, there's a time to reap, there's a time to sow, there's a time to cry, there's a time for joy, there's a time for death, there's a time for life, and everything in between. And it's still something that I struggle to navigate, man, but seeing how God has transformed you and, and walking you through those seasons and 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 now seeing how masculine revival is growing and the message is maturing. I mean, praise God, dude, what a testament, man. It's, it's amazing to witness. Last thing I'm going to say, and then I want to, I want to shift to your story is Romans eight twenty eight has been on my mind and it's been percolating in my spirit and my heart nonstop recently. Really roughly the, it, the scripture is about how God works all things for the good, for those who believe in him. And when you understand that how could you ever be anxious or worried about anything so like i look at i look at my life and i was like the depth and degree the, the depth and degree to which i've suffered in my life is hard to put into words it's hard for me to express to another human being how much i've struggled mm-hmm. but i look back at that and i see how god worked that for the good the, the whole, i couldn't see it in the moment i was in that season where it was dark i was lost i was depressed i was hopeless but there was hope. I just didn't know it yet. And he was, he was working that with an intention, with a plan in mind. Right. And that plan involved me doing this podcast and you, the listener hearing me say this right now. And I want to say 
that if you're in that season right now in your life, there is hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Amen. So Mike. Amen, bro. I just want to share a piece of scripture here that popped up. It was actually the verse of the day. Funny enough, it's second Corinthians uh, chapter nine, verse eight. And that is, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen. And you, my friend, are a perfect example of that. I think our lives are a perfect example of that. And what an amazing living, breathing testimony to the salvation that only comes through Christ, our Lord and Savior, dude. I'm getting just chills just talking about this and hearing your story, man. Amazing. I've heard that story a couple of times, but it never gets old. It gets better every time that you say that. I just I just want you, I want you to know that too. Amen, brother. Okay. So switching gears here. Mike, where do you want to start with your story? Oh, man. You know me, I'm a verbose, wordy person. So stop me at any point here um, <laughs> if I if I get off off track. But uh, to kind of give people a, a somewhat short story long um, Cliff Notes version, which won't be a Cliff Notes version. I was raised in a Catholic household. Um, I would say it's more so cultural uh, Catholic, you know, being an Italian guy, we just by default are all Catholics that, you know, pray to Mary and the rosary and all that stuff. So I went to Sunday school. So I always had a baseline understanding and a relationship with Jesus or so I thought. Um, I was raised without my father in the home. He was a pretty negative influence, but again, he was my father. I want to honor him and not trash talk him. Just like, you know, you honored your mother and I could appreciate that. Um, but I wasn't really raised with the knowledge of Jesus. It was just don't do this because it's bad. God's going to be angry. Do this because it's good. Cool. So the communion, all of that stuff. I went through a period in my teens where I became not just an atheist. I actually have an atheist tattoo that I got covered up. Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it? It was just, it was just a, a, an, an A. That was like a, there's an atheist symbol. If you look it up, if you Google atheist, atheist symbol, that's when I got tattooed. Wow. I didn't know that. And I covered it with a lion because, you know, at the time when I got it, it was like a symbol of when I think of God, I think of like this, 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 this king, the king of the jungle, the king of the world. I think of a lion, right? The lion and the lamb. And so um, I wasn't just an atheist. I was like an anti-theist, bro. I consumed all of Christopher Hitchens' uh, books, Richard Dawkins, Charles Darwin, Sam Harris. The list goes on, right? You know, the yeah. God delusion, God is not great. I, I read all this stuff as like a 16, 17-year-old guy and constantly wanting to debate people. I hated God. And looking back, I hated God because I hated my father. Right. I didn't realize that there's three phases uh, a young man goes through, even a young woman goes through when it comes to his father. It's you idolize, you demonize, and then you humanize and praise God through my salvation through Christ. I've been able to humanize my father. And I'm now at this point where, you know, I love him. I pray for his salvation all the time. But nevertheless, I was in this point where I was demonizing my father, just wanted to debate people endlessly. But I, I kept running into the argument of what is good, what is bad, where do these things come from? Mm. Why am I always at the whim of my emotion? Why am I always wanting to indulge in the flesh when it always just leads to destruction? I was in relationships. I was indulging in lots of casual sex in my teens. And then I remember being in a relationship and the the, the, the family was super Christian. We would go to church. And it was this really wild church. It was very charismatic, you know, preying on people, people writhing on the ground. So maybe not the best example of a church, but that it began to get convicted. I started to question all of these things. And I remember it was like 2013, 2014. And I was in, keep in mind, my whole life I've dealt with crippling anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation. I went through a period of my life where there was years of panic, like panic attacks all day long. I've been heavily medicated. 
there's actually a point I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly where I was admitted into the brief intervention unit. So it's like one step below the psych ward um, for three days in Vancouver. Cause I was like, I'm, I told my mom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide and I need to get locked up somewhere. No joke. I was in my early twenties. And uh, I remember being in this place, there was bars in the window. I had to like sign away my rights for like the X amount of time that I was there. And all I remember was there being a Bible beside the bed. And I remember these, just these, these kids, deeply troubled, abused kids. Like when you look at them, you're, you, you look in their eyes, you see, you see a soul that's held captive. And that was so sobering to me at the time. I said, God's given me a rational mind, two arms, two legs, and I'm not making light of the gifts that he's given me. I am, I've, I've hated him and I've avoided him when all he's wanted from me is to get close to him. And so I know a lot of people have a misunderstanding of this piece of scripture, but I read through Philippians 4. Everybody knows Philippians 4, 4.13, 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that was just, that was my beginning of getting back to the faith. Now, I came back to the faith. I accepted Christ as Savior, but I wasn't walking like a Christian. I didn't, nobody, nobody taught me what that looked like. I went to church, you know, I was still involved in these, these, these casual relationships and long story short, I lost a bunch of weight. Okay. I was super heavy, lost a bunch of weight, discovered lifting. That was like, I think the tool that God had used in my life to change my life. So I lost all this weight, but then I became very narcissistic, very narcissistic and self-absorbed. So I, I, I used that to my advantage instead of being a good steward of that and being a good example I decided I I discovered the red pill along this way, and I thought that I could live a red pill lifestyle while simultaneously being a Christian. And those things are completely antithetical to one another, right? So, so let, let me let me interject for one sec. So yeah. it's really interesting hearing you share because it almost sounds like you had a really intense. You've had some intense spiritual moments up until this point in your story, like you've had like these profound moments of clarity. But it almost sounds like maybe the full heart change never happened yet because you were you were trying to it's like how do i hold on to like my body my fitness the world and be a christian and it's like you didn't there was still that grasping is what it sounds like you you nailed it there was not the heart change i was fully convinced that jesus was fully human and fully god and died for our sins i fully believed all those things but the concept of being a narrow path walking christian i just thought hey we're all sinners god's gonna forgive us anyways you know the typical like self-proclaimed christian thinks that right like god's cultural 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 yeah Yeah. cultural christianity not actual disciple big distinction there right Mm -hmm. um so i went through my 20s i started a business and i don't know what i did to deserve it it flourished right away so through my 20s i went from like perpetually broke i was a mechanic i worked at a gym to starting a gym and it immediately being successful so that only added to the narcissistic fire, right? So I was in good shape. I, I, you know, uh, business was going really well. I was in my early twenties, making really good money. So I decided to get all these tattoos. And so when people look at me, they're like, oh, Mike, don't you know about sin and tattoos in the Bible? I'm not here to argue that point. All I know is about the tattoos that I have are an indicator of one thing. I was worshiping myself. So all along my right side of my body on my hand, it says prodigal son. And now I feel like I'm truly living, like I get chills down my spine when I think about it because I truly feel like the prodigal son because I spent my 20s indulging in myself, um, chasing women, doing drugs, drinking, enjoying the spoils of what comes with like, you know, a modest amount of financial success in my 20s. I've got St. Michael, the archangel. I've got Jesus tattooed. I've got Ephesians 6, like 
but it, it's almost like I needed this reminder. I kept looking down at myself and I, and I look at my arms and I look at my neck and my hands. And I said, this was all for me. This wasn't for him. Mm. I put myself on the altar of worship. I didn't put Christ at the altar of worship. I got the the hand and neck tattoos because it was like an F you to the system. I'm never going to be employed by an employer. I'm going to make sure I'm unemployable. I want everybody to look at me and say like, what does this guy do for a living? (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was pure unadulterated. I wanted to look cool because I was in this point of narcissism where I wanted to look cool for females. I wanted to look cool for myself. It was all glorification of self. And what came from that in my twenties was destruction, huh? destruction, drug use, alcohol use, rampant promiscuity. I was always empty. I was, I was like a bucket with like a, just this gaping hole at the bottom and I would pray, but I would hear nothing back. I still believed but yet God was still blessing me. It's just a testament testament to he is more abundant in grace and mercy than we are of sin. And that just tells you a lot, right? So go, going back to the tattoo piece a little bit, I'm, I'm really curious. How do you feel about the tattoos now? Hmm. Um, if I were to be completely honest, I look at them and I'm like, I wish they weren't there. You know, because I know what they represented to me at the time. Um. But the way that I, I don't know if this is true. This is just something that, that has come to me in the last you know year or so. Was God wanted to use me in a way? And I think part of my message being impactful to people is people, people, especially young men, because I really wanted my whole life. I've just wanted to be an influence on young men because I've been so lost. My appearance, I think, makes the message a little bit stronger. I could be wrong. But when people look at me and they think that maybe I'm a criminal, I have a criminal past, which none of that is true. Um, they think I'm a certain way. They see the way that I'm built or they see the tattoos and all of a sudden I'm proclaiming Christ as king and, and talking about all of these things in virtue. I think it it strikes a deeper chord. I would agree. I would agree for sure. I think that um, at an initial glance, you will draw certain young men in, in that cultural way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, what's this guy got to say? You're going to get that initial uh, capture on attention. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just so interesting to me, man, like how, where you and I come from and like what we've been through and the fact that here we are sharing this message. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause we're not that polished Christian pastor son type guy, right? Like even, even theologically, it's like, we both read the Bible. We know mm-hmm. the Bible fairly well. Um, but we're not, we're not those guys yet here we are sharing this message and like how God has brought you and I together to be doing this and how we are reaching people that maybe that pastor type wouldn't reach because, uh, because of our backgrounds, because of what we've lived through and been through. Dude, how many messages do you get? I get DMS every week that you, you know, you've helped me get closer to Christ listening to the podcast, you guys as examples, and it blows my mind. Like glory to God, because one thing that I make very clear, and I know you make clear, we're not trying to be gurus. We're not trying to be guys that you follow. We just want to be compasses that point you to Christ. It's like, there's something that points like what, what has caused this change? It's Jesus, man. No (laughs) glory to me. It's, 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 it's all to Jesus, bro. And you know, I used to, I used to cringe at the glory to God, glory to God thing. I'd see Christians doing that. Like, come on, bro. You don't get, you don't get any glory. Like you did the thing. And then now, now I'm that guy where I'm like, I did nothing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me. It was never me. It's all about him. 
I, I remember I said that in my testimony. It's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about him, right? And it's like there's no there's no like less than kind of feeling in that. It's like I'm so full with the joy of Christ. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I want you to I want you to kind of tie together your story where you left it off there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So through my twenties, all the self-indulgence, the tattoos and stuff, whatever. And then I, all the while calling myself a Christian, I met my wife in January of 2020. It started with a DM, probably with not the best of intentions. So just be honest. With you. <laughs> it started with a DM and now I've got two little miniature versions. Of, of the, it's funny how that works. Shoot yeah. your shot, fellas. You never know where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> but what was in- incredible about this was just like the gym and its success. And I don't know what I did. And this is not pedestalizing her or anything. I, I don't know what I did to deserve that opportunity with such a Christ fearing woman. I'm sorry, but if you hear my daughter screaming in the background, <laughs> just real quick, <laughs> could you hear that? Brendan? No, I can't hear that. Okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> She's screaming my name right now. But anyway, so I, I met her in January, 2020, we were talking and I just figured this was going to go like it always goes. We meet, have a date, and it goes on as it typically has gone with premarital sex. But anyways, I met her, and there was this overwhelming sense of like, oh, this is this is this is legit. This is real. Like, she was walking in the faith. She was dedicated Christian, and I was then faced with like all of my insecurities, all of the stuff that I've done. Because what's the the fruits of like a red pill lifestyle? What comes with that is crippling insecurity, crippling inadequacy. And I felt like at no point did I deserve a woman like that. And and I I think I know what you mean by that is like, when you get into that red pill ideology, everything you're doing is you're viewing it through the lens of like, is this high value? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you nailed it. It's like, am I doing the things? Am I taking off the boxes? It's all game. It's all performance. It's all, it's mental theatrics. And none of the stuff, it, it didn't, it's not that it didn't work. I just felt like with her, I didn't have to do it. But I was still in the throes of, of living like a degenerate. And so we got into this relationship and it was too real for me. But at the time, now I look at, look back at, look back at it critically. I'm like, I felt like I was not worthy of that because she was real. She loved the Lord. She could see a future with me. And she, and she wanted that. I almost cheated on her several times. One of which I was leaving the church. I lied to her and I was going to meet up with somebody. It didn't happen by the grace of God. Each of those times that I attempted to do it, it did not happen. I was so convicted. I stopped it before it happened. Um, Anyways, broke up with her, proceeded to absolutely destroy my life even worse through those months after. And this is where God comes in again. I reached out to her. She's my only Christian friend at the time. And I said, listen, I don't have bad intentions. I'm not trying to get back with you. I just want to talk about the Lord because you're like the most God-fearing person that I know. So we meet up at Spirit Pacific Park in UBC in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And we're talking about the Lord. And again, there was no intentions. And then after that, she knew I was trying to quit drinking. So she, she said, why don't you just go to eat? Let's just talk about God. And again, no intentions of getting back with her. And then somehow six months later, she was pregnant. We were married. Now, how this is relevant up to the, the present is that I accepted God and, and Christ and all those things, got married, bought a place, all of this stuff. And then I woke up, zoom ahead a year later, my daughter's born. I woke up one morning with the tinge of a hangover. My business was booming, but I was miserable. I was not a present husband. I was not a present father. I was not doing good by my home at all. I was drinking all of the time because I couldn't deal with the stress of the business and providing in long hours. So I woke up and I said, I need to change something and I need to put my family so above myself that my shoulders hurt because I've been putting them below me. 
So I decided to sell our place and move to where you and I both live. And that's in Edmonton, Alberta. We built a house here. Two months after we moved here, obviously it's been the hardest time ever. I got baptized in October. And that is when I felt like my journey as an actual Christian started. It hasn't been blissful. It hasn't been beautiful. There's been moments of contentment and peace and joy, but it's been God has put me through a series of trials, a series of tribulations. I don't think he's testing me because God doesn't test us. I don't think God tests us. I think we test ourselves. And I think we give the enemy more credit than he actually deserves. But I think what I've been going through is that I think God has to break some of us down to pieces to re renew us and to rebuild us in his image. So I was going through a period of not just sanctification, but purification. And I really had to reap or yeah, reap what I've sown all of those years. And what I realized coming out of that living water was that I was confronted with the reality of my own sin and what I was doing, the drunkenness the narcissism, the lust, the anger toward my family and toward my wife. And it's not to say that I'm the most peaceful, blissful, like monk-like person now, but God has changed my attitude. He's changed the way I led my home. There's minimal conflict. I put my family above myself. Grace intercedes during conflict, during seasons of anxiety and doubt, which I experience still. It's not to say that we don't. There's this, this anchoring and this security and knowing that he's going to provide because he has provided. Mm. And that some of us have to go through these seasons in order to be rebuilt and reshaped. And, you know, just like you're talking about your life, if you look at both of our lives, it says in the Bible, you will know them by their fruit. I think people could look at our lives and say, that tree is bearing good fruit. And that tree is bearing good fruit, not because we planted that seed, but because God built the whole foundation of our lives, rebuilt the whole foundation of our lives. Amen. What Christ has done in your life is absolutely apparent knowing you. Because I think that you have a lot of reason where you could be arrogant and prideful and like what you don't really talk about this very much, but just really brief, like what, tell us about, um, where you're at with your physical fitness and what, what oh. you're physically capable of doing. Oh yeah. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I don't, I, I just feel very self-aggrandizing because it's something I've done for so long. But anyways, um, at a body weight of. I'm 5'11", I'm like 205, at a body weight of 200 to 205, I've squatted well over 600 pounds. Um, I've bench pressed just under 400 pounds, but that's not really you know super impressive, but I've deadlifted over 800 pounds, completely drug-free, completely steroid-free, all just with hard work, and, and I've lost over 100 pounds in that process, and if there's one area of my life that God has given me mastery over, is, is that. And I don't talk about it much because it's such an integral part of my personality, but yeah, those are the things that I've done. So I met you back in January of this yep. year and you joined the brotherhood and you could really get by on your strength, your appearance, your ability to communicate. Like you, you have a presence about you that inspires other men. And I think that you, you could really be full of yourself about that, but you're not. Um, and that's something that I have always really admired about you is that there are a lot of men in the field that we work in that do not have that humility. They, they do not have that groundedness right it's like it is still that that performance that show and you can put that show on but you choose not to right and i, th I think that's something really admirable about you and it speaks to what christ has done through you is, is that you have that humility when you have reasons not to be humble but you are i really appreciate that man i i've never wanted to be a cult of personality ever that i don't want somebody to just follow me 
and it's being it's becoming more and more apparent every day of my life that like I just want to be the person that points people to God because I think we so desperately need it in the world that we live in now. Um, and there's a degree of imposter syndrome that comes with that. It just, you know, feeling less than worthy, but then you realize like God uses the, like the least of us. Right. I mean, look what he did with Paul in the mm -hmm. Bible, killing Christians to being like the most, I think to me, he's like my favorite writer in the Bible. Right. Um, and it's just a testament to that. And stepping into that has been slightly just uncomfortable as I'm sure you can attest to it, but I appreciate the kind words, man. That's it's, it's all about just pointing people to Christ. That's, that's the whole message. Why is it all about pointing people to Christ? Because he's the only one that can save us from ourselves. Hmm. Yes, because I used to believe that um, I was the answer. Exactly, right? I, I thought that um, I could be good enough to do the thing. Yep. And ultimately, I realized that I'm not. At, at, the very, at the very best now, I'm a, I'm a vessel for him. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where the worth comes from. And that's where... That's where I'm the most worth listening to is when I'm speaking about him. You know, it's interesting. I used to deal with so much insecurity and I'm sure you did as well. Uh, uh, inadequacy, struggling with my father, why he did or didn't do this. Dude, all of that is washed. Mm. I, I still deal with anxiety of provision and letting go of my control. All of that stuff. We all have our areas where we struggle. It's not an easy walk. Uh, even up until somewhat recently, I was probably drinking a little bit too much on the weekend because of X, Y, or Z reason. And I was convicted so wholeheartedly that I'm like, I, I'm putting this before God, even inadvertently. And the more that I do that, the more I die to myself, the more these, these, this noise that used to be there, it just, it goes away. The, all yeah. the insecurity, all the stress, all the worry, like I'm not good enough. All of these things, there's just this a calm that I'm not, I'm not even used to, to this, to this day, man. Yeah. And being a guy myself who spent years processing quote unquote myself. So I was always in a process. If you met me years ago and we got together, I'd be like, I'm having this new realization, this new insight. There's this new thing that I'm processing and working on and I'm trying to unpack and figure out, and uh, deal with so I can move forward. It was ongoing for probably a decade of my life. I was in a process. Mm -hmm of trying to overcome and become who I felt like I was meant to be. Um, I have been in pursuit of truth my entire life from the time that I was a little boy asking big, profound questions about life and why I was here. Finding Christ is the end of all the processes. It, it was, I, I found Christ, the, the processing stopped. Now Christ works through me. I don't work on myself. Christ works through me. Right. So you could say that it's the end of all the processes. It's also the beginning where you're being sanctified daily. You're being made more holy, but that's not, it's less about you and more about him. Right. And there's a freedom in that where it's not, it's not up to me to fix myself. I'm incapable of fixing myself. That's exactly it. And I think that's, what's so interesting about the new age in your story is that the new age in particular tries to make everything convoluted and complicated because at the core of it, when you understand it, it's hollow. There's nothingness there. When being a Christian is quite simple, die to yourself, repent, and walk the path. But people replace God with the word universe because they hate accountability. And they like, want the goodness that comes with the belief in a higher power with none of the conviction. Responsi no responsibility. And, yeah. Yeah. Universe, the universe, the universe. Yeah. There's it's infinite space. 
yeah, it feel, feel good in that infinite space and be accountable to nothing except yourself and your own pleasure. Right. And let, let me say this, if you guys want a, a Christ pill, some of you guys that if there are anybody, if there's anybody listening, that's still kicking around in the new age, if you think that consciousness is going to save us, that we can save ourselves, if we continue to grow and develop and evolve, have you ever been to a conscious music festival, a burning man, a, uh, a burn in the forest, a electric owl or whatever the, whatever they're called. <laughs> um, the, so the, these events that happen are apparently the cutting edge of the conscious movement, right? Where it's, it's all about love and peace and unity and togetherness and the future and expansion and evolution. They're degenerate cesspools, yep. right? You've got nude adults dancing around little kids. You've got orgies, rampant drug use, pure hedonism. There's, there's your cutting edge of human consciousness. Is that going to save you? No. Well, we're living in a time where Paul wrote about it in Romans, right? Where um, they were so, you know, people are so obsessed with themselves. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not quoting directly from scripture, but God has given them over to a debased reprobate mind. Hmm. We're like, we're seeing the fruits of this like expansion of consciousness, this like inversion of, of, of good and evil and, 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 and truth and falsehood. Just look at what's happening on the political, the, the political climate or, you know, what's happening to the indoctrination of children, these, these conscious festivals, all that is, is people finding themselves at the altar of worship of themselves because the fruits of that is always chaos. It's always confusion. It's always destruction. Yeah. And it's also, this is an interesting point. I think I've made it before on the podcast, but I'll say it again, that Satan is actually the great unifier. Satan tries to unify what God intended to have divided. And you can see this both with transgen transgenderism, mm -hmm. right? Men becoming women, women becoming men. God made us separate, right? You can see it on that level and how confusing and screwed up that is and the fruit of that, what that does. And then you can also see it with this whole globalism thing, right? Where the globalist agenda has at face value, it's about peace, love, tolerance, unity, togetherness, um, the climate, all of these really good things. And underneath it, anybody that's paying attention can see that it's really about slavery, control, oppression, destruction of freedom, on and on and on, right? And so Satan kind of has this, he, he's trying to unify and it's supposed to be peace and love and all that. And then underneath it is pure evil, which is an interesting point. It is an interesting point. And I think we're heading toward, I mean, I don't like to get into, you know, rapture talk and revelations talk and stuff, but things are rapidly changing in the world, right? And, and at, at alarming speed, you see COVID, you see a post COVID economy and climate, political climate, all that stuff. Um, my question to people, you know, if they have a problem with Jesus is why is Jesus the most mocked figure in the world? Nobody else gets mocked like Christ does. No other believers get mocked the way that Christians get mocked. Why do you think that is? Why, why are you allowed to mock Jesus publicly? But if you mock any other religious figure, it's blasphemy and it's terrible. And it's the worst thing in the world. And you're a racist. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 
Why? That's not a rhetorical question, man. Like they, I, I try to answer that 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 question, and um, Jesus said it. They will hate you because of me, and I, I think we're rapidly heading toward a time where, as Christians, we are going to be separated. I mean, Christ is going to come to separate anyways. I came, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. He says it explicitly to turn members of family against one another. That's, that's biblical. Mm. I think it would behoove any Christian, any believer to stay prayed up in discernment and wisdom for the times to come, because just like you said, Satan is a great unifier and there's going to, there's going to come a great deception. And only those of us that are cloaked in the wisdom walking that path will un, will be able to understand because it will come. What doesn't it say in in Corinthians that the devil often dis, uh, disguises himself as an angel of light? Oh, absolutely. That and that that's pure New Ageism. Exactly right. That 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 is New Ageism. It's what the New Age is is it's false light. It's a it's a false replication of the light of Christ is what it is, and it ultimately falls short. I think that we should address this aspect of things in this conversation before we wrap up is the particularly it's men that want to know that this is the truth and they want it in more of like a a mind-based way, right? Mm. Because I can definitely relate to that, that um, we've, we've shared this beautiful, both of us, this beautiful testimony as to why we've become Christians and what Christ has done in our lives. And there's a lot of people probably listening that are going, yeah, but Jesus isn't real, bro. And <laughs> there's the proof, bro. Yeah. There's no proof. Uh, that's cool. That through the power of wishful thinking, you guys have had a massive transfer transformation, but that is, I'm sorry to break it to you, but that isn't real. What would you say to those people, Mike? Uh, dude, I think at this point, there's no excuse to have that opinion anymore. It's an uneducated, um, you're not even actually putting in any kind of effort to substantiate your claim of there was, there is no Jesus. Jesus is not real, bro. I mean, even people, even like the most foremost atheists can acknowledge that Jesus was an actual person. So we can at least start there, right? I'm not the best at apologetics. Neither are you, but there are probably some things we could bring up right now that like, Hey, go here, look, look into this, bro. And then come back to me and talk to me. Yeah. So more than a carpenter, the book, mm-hmm. read that one. That's a good one. A case for Christ. I was going to bring that one up. Yeah. So there's a book and there's also a YouTube. It's like a movie or something. It's on YouTube for free. That one's really good. I, I guess it's funny. Cause I, I actually intended to get into the apologetic side a little bit more, but it almost feels ridiculous to even get into it, it, it to, an, to an extent. Cause we could start dropping facts and stuff like that. You know, s- stuff like, there being more manuscripts found than any other ancient document in the world by a hundred X, right? Like the biblical proof is just overwhelming, but I think with an unbeliever, the problem isn't, it's not mental. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's a heart problem. It's that your heart is hardened and you are in refusal and denial of the truth. And we can't say to you mentally, Hey, here it is. You need to like you need to have a confrontation at the heart level with your. You need to see yourself clearly. You need to come to the end of yourself. You need to realize that you can't fix it. You can't solve it. You can't save yourself. That there is a wellspring of evil that flows from your heart, and that you need a savior. You need Jesus Christ. You need the gospel. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's 
these people, because I was I was this person, they try to intellectualize their way to God. They want somebody to say, here's this piece of paper. Here's this picture. Here is God. This is your proof of God. The proof of God is already in your spirit and in your heart because you were made in his image. How would you approach somebody in unbelief that is curious, that's on that, that's towing that line? How think, would you how would you talk to that man or woman? Yeah, so I think for me the way that I've been the most successful in talking about faith is through having a relationship with that person rather than it being a soapbox where and this comes back to the the original conversation at the beginning, why am I not blasting this out every single day on on Instagram? Cuz I I honestly think that it's ineffective if you don't have a pre-established relationship. You have to pick your moments. You have to be intelligent about it, right? Like, Mike, you're you're in one of the men's groups. You've seen since January how many men in that group have become Christian through relationship. All of them, All of them. through through relationship, right? Through mm-hmm. walking with us, seeing the fruit that our lives have produced, getting curious, and then going on their own journey through that, right? Rather than us being like when you first came in. I was just going to bring that out. I'm like, let me tell you guys, let me tell you guys what doesn't work. Okay. My first meeting ever in the brotherhood in January, I came up, I might as well have punched everybody in the jaw with the Bible. You guys all need to repent. You guys all need Jesus. You're That's not gay. the way that you do it. Yeah. You guys are all gay. Like this is not the... <laughs> as much as I love that passion and that fieriness in myself and in many other believers. That's not how you approach it. I think the, the, for, the biggest thing that we can all do we should all be doing this anyways, is to be a living example. Mm-hmm. And I can say this to me, there's something that convicts me deeply is that in the men's group and in on podcasts, I have the tendency to cuss a lot. And I excuse it for this, that reason. And blah, blah, when really in all ways, in all situations, in all conversations, in all places, no matter if the person I'm speaking to is able to serve me or not, I need to be an example of how crisis worked through me. That is the way that we display our fruits as Christians. What do you say about that? Amen. And the thing is too, is that you can't, you can't really authentically necessarily pr- portray that through Instagram. No, you can't. Right. Like yeah, it, it comes across as pretentious and holier than thou often. And it, it I don't think that that's the best way to go. I think if you're going to do it, it needs to be tactful and intelligent and well-placed and well-timed. Yes. It, it really is like, so many people have come to come to the faith um, since I've come to the faith and I've been relatively quiet about it. Like I haven't really, mm-hmm. I'm not out there screaming and yelling. I'm just, I'm faithfully walking in obedience, my own path. And people come to me and say, what are you do? Like, what are you doing? What do you believe? What do you think? What do you feel? Uh, what's the basis of all this for you? And then I say, well, here it is. <laughs> and then they go on their own journey and then Christ performs a miracle and they become a Christian. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. When you're in a position of influence, you better have been grounded in God's law because inevitably people are going to, you're going to might, you either will get drunk off the influence or you'll be that example, that compass that I've said so many times that points people to God. And I think you and I have become that in our Wednesday group where we kind of stop talking about it. People see it on our Instagram, but then they see this podcast flourishing. They see our lives. They see the fruits of our lives with our children, with our wives and what we have going on. And then it peaks to curiosity, even like the most close-minded of men. 
the hardened heart, the, the, the men with the hardest hearts. Now, like, well, what, where, where is that? Where's that? Where's that coming from, man? All that, that goodness that's flowing from you, not just the blessings, but just like it permeates through your being. I think that's how you do it. You're the example. You're the living example. You're the breathing example. And again, it, it, we're kind of handcuffed by Instagram, but that's why I'm so grateful. Dude, our podcast is an example of that. Mm. You have a big following for sure. I have a modest size following. So yeah, we have a natural audience there, but how quickly it's grown yep. is just a testament to God's grace. When he wants something to work, the dams will break. We just saw that with Brotherhood 2.0 to going back to the 1.0. Did we not just see that as well? Oh, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. I don't know where to, I don't know where to go from here, but we've, uh, I think this is one of these episodes that I feel like we could go on forever about. I think this is naturally going to be part of probably a couple of, obviously more than a couple of different conversations about this. I don't know how else we could spin it. Cause we obviously were naturally talking about our testimony here, but there's been an electricity and a presence to this conversation that as, as much as I'd loved our previous, this one was unlike the other ones. <laughs> yeah. L listeners, let us know if this conversation, this episode was like the other episodes, because it definitely did not feel that way. No. At all. Like, this is like a, almost like episode one. <laughs> a totally <laughs> yeah. new thing here. Yeah. Um, I, I love this. It makes me feel convicted about doing it more. And I'm going to be honest yeah. as well and say that I, I've actually felt it's it's frustrating in some ways because like I want to be really I, I'm just gonna say something really clearly right now that needs this needs to be said if you're still with us at this point in the conversation. <laughs> masculinity is not gonna save you. Femininity oh. is not gonna save you. Masculine feminine dynamics are not gonna save you. Okay. Um there are women listening that think that the source of their problems is their lack of a masculine husband. No, you need Jesus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jesus is the foundation. Stop looking to looking for a savior in your husband. He's never going to be your savior. It's okay to want him to be maybe more than he is, but you need to walk in obedience to Christ first and foremost. That's, that's your problem. Okay. This, this whole masculine revival thing, masculinity, femininity, all that stuff. It matters. It is not the be all end all. Stop treating it that way. Stop thinking that that's the case. It's not Christ is the be all end all start with mm -hmm. Christ build from there traditional gender roles all this other stuff independent of christ is hollow is empty is not going to deliver you only christ will that that's the that that is my message now okay whatever it was before is not now let's go dude i think and that's coming from masculine revival himself where your whole foundation of your page was built around that stuff. And we have to understand none of these values mean anything. It's all playing dress up. If Christ isn't at the center, men, if you're failing in your marriage, it's because you haven't yielded to God's authority in most areas of a man's life. If he hasn't yielded to God's authority, that's more than likely why his life is breaking apart. And to the young men out there, cause I know I speak a lot to the guys that are entrenched in the red pill. Those guys, all they want to do is get you in their funnel and sell you something. Mm. All God wants to do, he wants access to your heart and he wants to change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's not trying to sell you anything. He's trying to save you, save your life and save you from yourself because guys, we are built for worship. And if we don't kneel at the altar of Christ and find ourselves at the foot of the cross, repenting, we find ourselves at the foot and the altar of the worship of self, which only leads to eternal damnation. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, 
pe- people just need to understand there are a lot of wolves and sheep sheep's clothing out there in this niche in this industry and there are a lot of people playing on the, on women's insecurities in particular right like women wanting masculine men and they will sell you a you know a thousand dollar course on a bunch of bs they're just fleecing you right the bible's free the word of god is free okay your salvation is free mm-hmm. so there you go we just destroyed our businesses but <laughs> we just did you know <laughs> your salvation was purchased at a cost but to you it's free right and let's just be clear too like if brendan or i wanted to make gobs of money we would not be talking about this no it would be uh we would, yeah. selling to, to middle-aged white women yeah, you'd be doing that and I would be selling a red pill course on how to get women mm-hmm. and how you're not, if you don't have a harem of women by 50 years old, then you're a low value beta male. Like I would just be an Andrew Tate light. <laughs> we're not looking to profit. All we're looking to do is get men to the kingdom because heaven rejoices every time it gains a new soul. And that is like the whole point of this whole podcast, the whole point to our lives and the whole point to our missions on social media, would you say? Amen. And and I will round that off a little bit and say that that is our, that's the mission. The impact is what it's all about. And we are making an income through that impact. And Mm -hmm. if you have a problem with that, you have a problem. There's Mm -hmm. nothing more men need to do that. More men need to go out into the world, make an impact and then provide for their family off of that impact. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Because the the facilitating of that coaching, the mentorship, all that stuff it facilitates more content. It facilitates us being able to bless you more with free stuff. And there's nothing wrong. Actually, if you look at most of the men in the Bible were entrepreneurs. Where did, where did, where did God put Adam and Eve? They put them in a garden. Hmm. Where did Jesus go to pray? Garden. He went to the forest, went to a garden. Did he not? So, us planting all of these seeds are all good seeds with good intentions because God, we pray about them. God knows there's nothing wrong with making an income off of the back of this, but that is not the goal. No. So all these guys are like, oh man, you, why are you guys charging for mentorship and you guys are charging for this and for that? It's because we need to provide for our families. There's nothing, God wants us to be wealthy and make kingdom wealth as long as it's f- with uh, for the right purpose, for the right reasons. And if it brings glory to his kingdom, it's all the better. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And it also just helps us bless you more. I could I could go off about that forever. There should be no guilt around wealth creation for Christians. Let's just put it this just put it bluntly. No guilt around that whatsoever because God does not want us to be poor. No. Listen, if I wasn't doing mask and revival, I would be back working as a landscaper. So right now it's eleven fifty four a.m. I would mm-hmm. be at work, and we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Exactly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be hearing this episode right now. So because I've monetized mask and revival, I'm getting paid to do it we're able to have this conversation at noon on a Tuesday. So if anybody's tripping about that, you need to get over yourself. Check yourself. That's an ego problem. That's yeah. an ego problem. Just, you need a vibe check, bro. Or sis. <laughs> yes. Anyways, if you didn't already know, Christ is King. And this is why we believe. So thank you guys for listening. Share this episode with somebody who needs it. And we'll catch Absolutely, you next man. one. God bless you guys. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Masculine Revival Podcast. Remember to leave us a five-star rating and a review if you enjoyed the show. And if you're a man that is in need of brotherhood and want to experience the life-changing results of having the counsel of strong men around you, you must join the Masculine Revival Brotherhood. Iron sharpens iron, and all men need brothers. Contact Masculine Revival on Instagram for more details. Or if you're interested in more of a one-on-one coaching environment, then I currently have spots open in my one-to-one men's mentorship. It is an extensive program that is geared towards making you a stronger, more virtuous man capable of fulfilling his potential. Contact me, Mike Pantile, via Instagram for more details. And if you want to share your thoughts on the episode, I encourage you to send one of us a DM. You can find our social media handles in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.